this message today, as I, as I was kind of praying about it, seeking the Lord about it a few months ago, um, the Lord kind of, he just continued to put on my heart, preach about the prodigal son, the message about the prodigal son. Uh, preach, and in the story of the prodigal son, it's not even really a story about the prodigal son so much. It's actually a story about the prodigal son's father, okay? And what I don't want to do today, the last thing I should say I want to do today is preach to the fathers. Because guess what? You're here. You're honoring God. You're serving God, right? That's the last thing I want to do is like, oh, bad, you know, the dads are, no, dads are awesome, right? Dads are great. And so, um, so just looking at this message of uh, that Jesus told, this parable that Jesus told, you can go ahead and turn your, your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in actually verse 10. But I was just thinking about being a dad. I, I've been a dad for 15 years now. My oldest is 15. She just turned 15 not too long ago. My next is uh, Sam. Well, Hannah's my oldest, my oldest daughter, my oldest. Uh, Sam is my next. He just became a teenager not too long ago in April. He's 13. And uh, my youngest is 10. So I'm like, man, I've been a, I've been a dad for 15 years. It's, and t- trust me, if you're a new father, it flies by. I mean, it feels like that baby stage lasts forever. I don't know. Like, it didn't for my wife. But boy, as soon as they, they hit kindergarten, it's over, right? I mean, it's gone. I'm just like, my oldest was in kindergarten not too long ago. And now it's like she's in high school, going to be a sophomore next year at Port. And so it's pretty amazing how that happens with time, except, except those baby days. I don't know if it's the changing diapers thing or what it is. But I, I was thinking back to those days, and I was remembering, I uh, had a memory um, when I first became a father, my, uh, my wife um, was changing our daughter, Hannah. She's not in here this morning, fortunately, so she can't be embarrassed. But uh, she was changing her in the backseat of our car at a grand marquee, a big old boat of a car, grand marquee. I think it was a 1995 or 1996 grand marquee. And I remember as she was being changed, she peed all over the back seat. And I remember how mad I was, how ticked I was. I was ticked at... You know, I, I, of course, I, I tried not to be ticked at her, at the baby, because I knew she was only six, you know, weeks old. She doesn't know better, right? I was kind of ticked at my wife, you know, at the time. And, but I started thinking about that. I was like, you know what? The car is gone. You know, ironically, that same car was dry. I, the last day I drove that car was the first day of my daughter's, um, first day of kindergarten. I drove her to kindergarten. And in those days, I dropped my kids off, and then I would make my way to my job, uh, to church, and that day I had a big, I don't know, we had a big pile of books that had to be returned to the library, okay? And so I was driving my grand marquee from dropping Hannah off to kindergarten for the first day of kindergarten, off to the library, and all of a sudden all the check engine lights and all the stuff went on, and I'm like, no! And all of a sudden I saw smoke coming from the engine, and I'm like, oh no, what I do? I messed something up. And uh, what happened is I broke the block of, uh, of my grand marquee. And it's, but it remi- I was thinking about this. I was like, you know what? The car's gone. It's done. It's trash. It's, it's, um, I'm sure it got recycled, you know, 10 years ago or so, right? And, but my wife and my daughter are still with me. And at the moment, you, looking back, I'm like, what's really important? What's really important? Of course, my, my family is what's important. Who cares if she made a mess in the back seat, you know? The car's not going to last forever, but they will. The relationship's will. And so I was just kind of thinking about that. The story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke 15, 10, it starts off saying, there is joy in the presence of God's angels 
when even one sinner repents. And he is describing and revealing love and grace, which, by the way, none of us deserve. Okay, I don't care who you are, what background you have, if you're a tax collector, if you're, um, and the Bible talks about tax collectors, talks about prostitutes, talks about thieves. But if you're a Pharisee or if you're a preacher, it doesn't matter. None of us deserve that grace, that love, and that forgiveness. But the problem is a lot of times we stay in that. We stay, we don't deserve it. You know, we may not deserve it, but this story, this parable, Jesus is sharing what the heart of God is here. We don't stay there. We don't stay. And, and I love the, the, the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But we don't stay a wretch because we go and we move it from wretch to sinner to sonship. And that's what Jesus is trying to show today. Even if we don't deserve it, even if we've done everything wrong, God's love is still there. God's love is still beckoning, beckoning us, calling us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one who is good, not one. Just remember, even though these verses exist, as soon as you come into the grace and the fellowship of Jesus, he doesn't view you as a dirty, rotten sinner. You are a son. And that's the whole point of today's story, the parable of the Father's love, is that we move from the sinner to the sonship relationship with God, with the ultimate Father. There's a few quotes I wanted to, wanted to share with you. Ken Norton um, said, he said, of all the titles I've been privileged to have, Dad has always been the best. Ken Norton, I had to look this up because I didn't know. Ken Norton was a boxing, uh, he's a heavyweight title champion who was not supposed to win over Muhammad Ali and he broke Muhammad Ali's jaw when he fought him in the match, obviously. And he, he won the uh, heavyweight title. So here's the heavyweight title champion, winner of the world. And he says, you know what? That's not the greatest title I've ever had. The greatest title I've had is dad. And then the, another quote that I wanted to share with you this morning about dads. And this is from James Bryan Smith. It's from the Good and Beautiful God book. If you haven't read that, I encourage you to read it. It is all about, um, really all about this message that I'm preaching about this morning. God's fatherhood must define what human fatherhood ought to look like, and not the reverse. The way God is father to me teaches me how to be a good father to my children. Again, that's from the Good and Beautiful God series. And a lot of times, me as a dad, I fail at that some, many times. But God reminds me of his heart and the way he is as a father. And that's the way we are to be as fathers. That's the way we're to be as mothers. That's the way we're to be as people, as Christians, because really what this is, is it's describing not the way that just fathers are to be, but all of us should be as living for Jesus, as living for the Lord. So the first thing I want to talk about in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11, is a good father desires relationship over rules. And of course, I put a little picture up there and uh, um, not endorsing any movies or anything, but this was the first picture that kind of came up. Like, oh, that's kind of a cool reminder, right? There is, if you've ever seen the Gremlins, there was a list of rules you're not supposed to do with the little gizmo guys. And uh, if you broke those rules, there were consequences to follow, right? And bad things would happen, right? Little fur balls would come into, you know, basically monsters that would terrorize the town. It's a really funny, really goofy movie from the 80s. But uh, it was just kind of a fun reminder that there are rules. We are to follow the rules, but it's not because God says, oh, we have to have rules, and if you don't live by these rules, there's no relationship. It's just be, so we can 
because he doesn't want us to have to deal with the consequences of our actions. And so, in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11, it says, I want, oh, to illustrate the point, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And I could just, you know, don't let your imagination run too wild, but I can imagine wild living, right? Drinking, women, drugs, um, gambling, right? Buying the latest, greatest Corvette or whatever, or um, whatever your favorite car is. They didn't have cars back then. You all know that, hopefully. So, um, Josh McDowell is credited by, to, for saying, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And here, this father, he's doing everything for his son. He, he loves his son so much. And this, he's doing everything right, by the way, for the son. Okay? So he's not doing anything wrong, but the son still decides to rebel against the father. He, was, he thought he was missing out on something. The son wanted to discover what was out there. He felt like he was missing out on something. He wanted to break from his work, from the covering of his father, from life as he knew it. How many times have we thought God was all rules and no fun? And even, you know, hey, what would it be like to be outside of God's, you know, canopy, right? And his covering, Right? But God is all about, not rules, but relationship. The Bible says that in John 4, 8, says God is love. You see, relationship is all about love, okay? Relationship is all about love, and God is love. He desires that relationship with us. Not the rules, okay? Again, rules have to exist, right? Rules have to be there, but he desires relationship. He put one rule in the Garden of Eden, don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? And uh, Adam and Eve broke that rule. They broke that rule, and all of us have been continuing to follow in that footsteps of sin, right? Because they were our earthly for, our forefathers, foremother. We've all continued to, uh, to break those rules. But God's not about rules. He's about relationship. He's about love. So when the son asked for his father's money, it was actually like saying, just like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I, you are dead to me. Because, you see, they didn't give the, the inheritance money to the, to the children until after they were deceased. Okay? And so when this, this, this son came to his father and said, I want my money now, it's like saying, I wish you were dead. You're dead to me. And so that had to have broken the father's heart. I can't imagine how that would have made the father feel. But this is the point that Jesus is trying to illustrate here. Not only that, in the Old Testament, according to the Old Testament laws, what was supposed to happen was this, this son was supposed to be stoned. Okay? If you go back to Genesis and Exodus, the rebellious son-daughter is supposed to be stoned. But this per good and perfect father that Jesus is trying to show, hey, this is God's heart, this is the father's heart, didn't stone this child. Instead, let him have freedom and choices of his own. Many times, my own personal struggle, I don't know about you, is uh, I'm all about rules sometimes with my kids, not relationship. But when I 
decide to say, you know what, I'm going I'm to show appreciation. I'm going to show love. I'm going to encourage my kids. I find that they are more honoring towards me. And it goes back and forth, hand in hand. And as a dad, sometimes we just have to be the first one to make sure we do that. So here the father is. He found himself in a place of loss. The son didn't want anything to do with him. The son had taken everything and moved to a faraway land. Essentially, what he said to his dad is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Number two, a good father determines to never give up. A good father determines to never give up. And there's a song by Hillsong Kids that sometimes we sing in kids' church. And I love this song. And it all, it's all about this. It's never give up. And uh, it's just a fun song with a little robot in the background that the kids love to sing. So Luke chapter 15, verse 14. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he, he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. By the way, feeding pigs for, uh, in first century Jewish culture was about as bad as it got. Okay, if we fed pigs today, it's, you know, it's our farm, right, or whatever. We're working on a farm. Back then, um, well, even to the Jewish culture today, um, swine pigs are unclean. And so for this Jewish boy to all of a sudden be feeding pigs, it was as low as he could go, right? As bad as it could get for him. It couldn't get any worse. He went from having all the money in the world, partying up, living up to he had nothing, and he had to feed pigs one of the more worst jobs that a Jewish boy could ever do. And the Bible says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. I don't know about you, but I'd be like longing to eat bacon. Okay, I'd be like, I wouldn't be seeing the pods that I was feeding. The, I'd be thinking about the bacon and the ham and the pork chops that I could be eating. But again, a Jewish boy, he wouldn't have done that. So looking at that in my 21st century context. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? The servants, the slaves in the home of his father, they had enough food to eat, not just for themselves, but they could even share with their friends and their family and other people. They had so much food to spare. And he started thinking about this. Oh, man, my dad is even generous to his servants, and I have nothing here. And I have basically disowned my father. What am I going to do? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And I love this part right here. This is like my favorite part. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with with compassion for him. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father wasn't responsible for what happened to the son in a faraway country outside of his covering. Bad things happen. You know what? Sometimes we're in the covering of God and still bad things happen because we live in a fallen, broken world. But we still have, we have a Father that loves us, a God who loves us. God has done everything, everything He can to bring us back into relationship with Him. 
He did everything by, of course, giving his son Jesus to die on the cross. Now, here's a cool thing. I brought this bag with me right here. My daughter, Hannah, actually made this bag for me. And uh, typically, I put stuff in kids' church just to bring out. And today, I brought with me, because it's Father's Day, and uh, every dad should just, you know, be wearing a robe all day long anyway, a bathrobe here. So, there we go. I mean, why not wear a bathrobe, right, on Father's Day? So, I thought I'd bring this. The reason I brought a bathrobe with me, or a robe with me, is because obviously this was the dress of uh, the wealthy in the uh, first century Jewish world, okay? It was a robe. And the thing about a robe is the father was looking. He was looking every single day. He, he's like, is, is this the day my son's coming home? This may be the day that my son finally comes to his senses and realizes that I love him so much. And I could just imagine the dad every single day looking out over the horizon, you know, whatever he's doing, you know, maybe he's eating dinner, maybe he's working out in the field, maybe he's giving directions to his servants, whatever it is, he's looking out, it's my son, it's my son out there. Oh, I see someone coming down the road. Maybe that's my son. And then one day he looks out there and says, maybe that's my son. It's my son. So the thing is, is that he would have had to take his robe. And he had to take it up. He had to pull it up. And he had to expose himself. All right? Which would have been shameful in the Jewish culture, by the way. But the father didn't care. He didn't care about the shame. You see, God the father didn't care about the, well, he cared about the shame. But he cared less about the shame than about bringing us back into relationship with him. Okay? And he allowed Jesus to be shamed for us so we could have a relationship with him. And so the father pulled up his robe and allowed himself to be exposed a little bit and ran out to the son and, of course, wrapped his, his arms around the son and kissed him and loved on him. And, of course, the son said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, the son had been shamed, but he had been humiliated. And James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And the father saw this humility and he said, yes, my son is not only home, my son is changed. He sees what he's done to me. This is great. And the kindness of God, the kindness of God leads us to repentance, just like in this situation with the father. The father was hoping and waiting and believing that a son would come back home. God has the same attitude for the sinner. He's determined and hopeful. He'll never give up. I don't believe he gives up on anybody until after, um, until after they're, they're no longer on earth. I believe that there's always hope for someone to come to repentance, into relationship with Jesus because he loves God, loves us so much. God cares for us so much. And that's, as Christians, that needs to be our heart of love towards the world, towards sinners, no matter how, I guess, disgusting and and horrible and whatever that they've done, right? We need to continue to put our love out there just like God the Father loves us. A good father, this is number three, a good father deliberately celebrates the wins. In Luke chapter 15, 22 to verse 30, he says, but he said to his servants, quick, another reason I brought the robe, bring the best robe and put it on him. Another thing about the robe and, and the Jewish culture. It was a it was a sign of it was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of favor. Joseph and the coat of many colors, right? Joseph gave his favored son a robe. 
Okay, so this signified a lot right here. He was restoring his son back into relationship. He said, no, no, you, you aren't just a servant. You're a son. He brought the robe out and put the robe on his son. Then he took, keep on going here, put a ring on his finger. And a ring signifies authority, okay? In the, uh, in the Bible times, many times if a, um, a king wanted to, to, to do basically perform an order, he would give a ring to his, um, with his uh, signature or, or his, his kind of, I call it logo, basically, and they would, they would have it. It would basically be saying, like, this is the king in the king's order. So this was authority. He put a ring on the finger of his son, said, your authority is restored, and brought, he also said, bring some sandals, bring some sandals, and put it on his feet. Sandals means this. Sandals means you are no longer a servant. You're no longer a slave. You are a son. Because servants didn't wear sandals. They didn't wear shoes. Sons wore shoes in Bible times. He was saying to his son, in every way, your shame is taken away. Kill a fattened calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And is found. So they began to celebrate. And now it gets to the other son. Okay? Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 31, says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. My question is, did he ever ask, right? But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. I think that's extremely important, by the way, on everything I have is yours. Because the prodigal son came home, the father didn't take away from the the older son, and say, you know what? We're going to give half of what you have now to the... He didn't do that. He didn't take the inheritance from the older son away because the older son had been um, working all these years and had stayed home. And there was still favor for the older son, just like there was favor for the younger son. So that's uh, extremely important to note right there. Everything I have is yours. The older son hadn't lost anything due to the prodigal's return. But we had to celebrate and be glad. He said we had to. He didn't say I wanted to. He said we had to. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says that again, the whole he was lost and was found. So the older son can be a picture. And I believe that Jesus, when he was preaching this, had the Pharisees in mind at the time. And thought, here are the Pharisees. And they get angry when they see a tax collector come into relationship with me. They get angry when they see a prostitute come into relationship with me. And here they are. They're missing out. 
they're missing out. And you know what? As a church, sometimes we can, we can have the same attitude, right? Like, who's that, man? That, that guy doesn't know anything. He just got saved last week, right? But sometimes we need to realize that the excitement of a new believer is so extremely contagious. And one of the most exciting things as a Christian, not even as a pastor, but as a Christian, is to see somebody come into right relationship with Jesus and say, I want to serve Jesus. And I've been, a, I've been saved for, uh, since I was seven, so I've been saved for a little while. But as I see someone else who comes into right relationship with Jesus, I believe it's one of the most exciting things. And that just, it, it excites you, it, it kind of ignites your faith a little bit. It puts an excitement, uh, excitement in your heart for what God is doing. And that's why it's so extremely important to, to go out and share the gospel, right? It's so extremely important to make sure that we're letting people know about the love of Jesus. And it, can, it doesn't have to be a sermon. It can just be, hey, I want to help you out. I want to you know, get to know you a little bit more at work. It can be, hey, you know, our church is having a picnic in the rain last week, which was a lot of fun, right? So or our, our church is doing this, our church is doing that. And as they come in to, and realize, like, this is fun. This is a cool thing. Let's do this. I want to continue to come back. So it's an awesome thing to be able to, to celebrate when someone comes into relationship with Jesus. But as dads and as parents, we need to celebrate the wins of our kids. We need to, I believe we need to celebrate good grades, right? We need to celebrate hard work. We need to celebrate um, stuff that our kids do. We definitely need to celebrate our, our kids' spiritual milestones, okay? And I brought with me this morning, uh, brought with me Faith Path. And so if you're a parent here at Portview, you know what uh, this is. It's uh, a Faith Path. path. Um, uh, we send out an email with all the information for your child's birthday uh, for Faith Path. And we also print it up so you can pick it up for your child uh, celebrate those kind of milestones when they turn certain ages. For example, seven is all about the Bible. And so uh, as a church, we just um, started this. We're going to start giving out a Bible to when a child turns seven because that's a milestone right there, right? Seven is about the age where kids start to learn how to read or they know how to read pretty well. And uh, as a church, we want to celebrate that. But as a parent, I encourage you to celebrate that. <laughs> Another example from... Uh, from our own family, is uh, purity. When my kids turn 12, we have decided to celebrate their purity. And so we give my kids two out of three right now because one is not yet 12. But we give them a purity ring at age 12, and we celebrate that and say, hey, this is yours, um, yours forever. Hang on to this, and this is what this means, and help them understand that the importance of that purity ring. Again, it's a ring. You know, 2,000 years ago, the the prodigal son was given a ring, and today, you know, we're giving rings to our children to say, hey, this is to signify your purity. The cool thing um, about uh, what we're doing in our family is our girls are getting part of my wife's first wedding ring as a purity ring, and my son actually um, received my old purity ring from what I received, I think, when I was about 15 or 16. And so, extremely important to do those kinds of celebrations, especially the spiritual uh, milestones, water baptism. Man, I encourage you, when your kids, when you're water baptized, man, take them out to eat, celebrate. That's a big deal right there when they do that. When they're, if they're young, if they're old, it doesn't matter how old they are. Celebrate that. So, as a, uh, just as talking about celebration, 
Um, this last week, I believe we, we can celebrate as a church. We just, uh, I'm coming off of two days ago, we did a vacation Bible school. And I see Tony sitting out there. So Tony was my security man for it. And we pulled this off with, in the last part of my message, I just want to celebrate this, okay? So we pulled this off with two other churches. And it was kind of cool because I continued to hear how Pastor Mark said, you know what, we've been working so hard to see this happen, where we can come together with other Bible-believing churches, and, and, and it's not about the name of our church, it's about the, the church in Port Washington. And so we came together with Open Door Bible Church and Freedom's Church, and we held vacation Bible school at the park, at Colback Park, and it's about a few blocks away from Lincoln Elementary here in Port Washington, and uh, we had a, an amazing time. It was a Monday through Friday um, a vacation Bible school. There's a picture of our, our team. And yes, Tony, I'm sorry you're not in there. He, he like had to miss it for uh, one day and it happened to be the day we could take some pictures. Um, Christine's in there. Christine uh, was, was at our preschool site at Freedens. But uh, I'm so thankful for the team that came together. Uh, I had about eight teenagers who uh, worked really hard all week long. And our youth were up there teaching the kids the songs and stuff, the motions for the songs, and they were crew leaders, and so extremely proud of our youth and proud of our, uh, our adults that helped as well. They just did a great job. And thank you, parents. Thank you, parents, for sending your kids. Thank you, grandparents, for making sure your, grandparent, or your grandkids got there. Just an amazing time. Yeah, Danica, my wife, Danica, was a crazy skit character, so that, that's just a picture uh, of that. And... Uh, there's game time. My daughter's hanging out with her crew. So it's funny because my daughter, Hannah, I shouldn't say this, but sometimes she acts like she doesn't like kids. And the kids would like attack her and just they would crawl all over her. And I was laughing all week like that's just so good for Hannah. And so she was receiving love for these little kids. And uh, I believe she was enjoying it too. So, But what a, an amazing time. We had anywhere from 85 to 96 kids that came out to the park. I mean, think about that. Their parents are dropping their kids off at a public park for this vacation Bible school, and about another 25 to 30 preschoolers who were uh, at Freedon's Church, and a whole preschool team that, that, helped, that did preschool there. We wanted to make sure we had walls and, and stuff uh, for, the, for the younger kids. We felt like that was important. So, But what, just a blessing, Monday through Friday, and so the weather was like perfect all week long, right? And I was just like, yes, thank you, God. And then all of a sudden, about... 10.30, Friday, we had one hour left, right, Tony? One hour left, it started like, it was kind of like on the edge all day, like, it's going to rain, it's not going to rain, it's going to rain, no, we think it's blowing through, and all of a sudden, you know, we kind of heard some thunder happening, and we're like, no, 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 and it started raining, and then it started pouring, and we're like, no, what do we do? Well, we had talked to the church across the street, I forgot the name of the church, it's a Lutheran church, and they, uh, they um, we're so gracious to say, yes, you can come into our church in the event of an emergency or a storm. And they allowed us to come into the sanctuary. It's a sanctuary probably maybe the third or a fourth of the size of this. So we were packed like sardines into this little tiny room. Everybody's drenched, right? And uh, everybody's soaked. But we finished off our VBS, our last hour of VBS at that Lutheran church. And I was like, wow, what, an, what a cool testimony. Here we have three Bible-believing churches. We're all coming into a Lutheran church, right? Lutheran churches who, you know, obviously the Lutherans started the Protestant Reformation. I'm like, that's kind of cool, kind of a cool picture of what God's doing here. And uh, we just had a lot, a lot of fun. And so thank you so much, 
uh, church for just uh, supporting us in that, and those of you who helped. Um, we really did put our best foot forward, I believe, in showing that we are people who care and uh, doing uh, a great job of that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and our kids had a blast, you know. Gianna uh, and Juliet Steele, I kept on asking them, like, are you having fun? And they're like, yeah! You know, they just, they were having such a blast. And even my own daughter, who's very, like, she likes to be, um, like, I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't like th- this or whatever. Sometimes in church stuff, she's like, I'm like, do you like it? Yeah, I'm having fun, you know. And so another real quick story about this. The beginning of the week, we had a, a, a special, uh, kind of a special needs boy. And he's been here to Portview a few times. And he just, man, he was like screaming and crying. And like, we're like, what do we do, you know? And uh, Melissa actually was, was like, you know what? Let me just kind of, you know, help with him a little bit. By the end of the week, he was having so much fun. Like every time I saw him, he just would run with his group. Like he would not, he did not want to miss being with his group, with his crew. And at the end of the week, I believe what happened was that he was screaming and crying that he had to leave. And so, but I'm serious, like for an hour and a half, he just screamed and cried about being there. And I'm like, oh my word, what are we going to do? And all these parents are dropping their kids off and they think we're torturing kids. We're not, you know, trying to get a hold of mom. But it was just such a great, great, great thing. And so um, what, a, what a great uh, thing to celebrate, I think. And like I said, I just wanted to end um, this message with that because it was, a, it was just a fun, it was a fun thing. So we'd like to wrap this, um, this message up. Gonna, uh, looks like we're going to turn you loose a little bit early. It's Father's Day. So yes, it's a good thing, right? So if you could all just go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to invite Pastor Mitch up. And, you know, as I was preaching, you might say, you know, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. Or maybe, you know, my dad was absent or he wasn't there. Okay? Don't allow your idea of a dad who may have failed in so many ways, because again, we're all, we've all failed, right? We've all sinned. Don't allow that to cloud your mind of who God is as a father. He is accepting. He is loving. He is there. Even when we've done everything wrong, like the prodigal son situation, he's there wanting to have a relationship with us. And again, God's fatherhood must define what human fatherhood ought to look like and not the reverse. The way God is father to me teaches me how to be a good father to my children. Sometimes it reminds me of how imperfect I am and that's okay because I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by the grace, the love of Jesus Christ. So if you're in need of the touch of the Father's love this morning, maybe you're possibly going through something difficult Or maybe you've been struggling to realize that God's love really desires to include you into deeper relationship with Him. just would like to give you an opportunity here to come up to the altar and receive the Father's love. So I'm just going to ask everyone to stand on up with your eyes, um, just with your eyes closed here. You could be going through something difficult. You could be going through something um, challenging and just saying, you know what? I need you, God. I need you to touch me in this situation. Remember, God is our Father. He is our perfect Father. And it's not a picture of a God of judgment who's waiting for us to do something wrong so He can zap us with light. That's not who God is. The picture of the prodigal son that Jesus gave, that's who God is. 
a father who says, you know what, I'm going to give my son freedom, but I want him to be in right relationship with me most. I want him to come back, even, even when we've done things wrong. So if you're here today, first of all, and you would say, you know what, I heard your message, and I would like to accept Jesus Christ to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin for the first time. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what? That's me. I don't want to um, end this service without giving that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Yes to God's love. Maybe you're the prodigal son who said, you know what? I've tried to do things my own way. I squandered everything away and it's, it, it's not working because it doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for us. If that's you, I just want to say, um, if you'd like to ask Jesus Christ to come in your heart to forgive you of sin, just raise your hand up right now if there's anyone who can say, yes, Jesus, I want to live in right relationship with you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. And the cool thing about that, the really cool thing about that is that the, Jesus is very clear about the fact that when we come into right relationship with him, we say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. He throws a party in heaven. He's extremely excited. He's that good father that says, I want to do everything to come into right relationship with you. I'm just going to ask those who raise their hands and those who are here that already love Jesus to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Make me brand new. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And give me the power through the Holy Spirit to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I want prayer, I need prayer, I want to come and I want to pray, and I just want to seek the Lord, there's something that uh, you're in need of, or there's, um, you're desiring the Father's love, I want to invite you up here at the altars as Pastor Mitch prays. Lord, we just thank you so much, God, for your amazing love. We thank you so much, God, that you care so much for us. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you that you desire relationship over rules. God, we thank you, God, that you never give up on us no matter what. We thank you, Lord, that you celebrate. You celebrate the victories, the wins with us. The spiritual wins, the, the sometimes the, the worldly wins of, of what's happened in our workplaces or our schools or what's happened in our families. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you celebrate the win of any time a sinner comes in the right relationship with you. And we thank you, God, that we can celebrate that we don't stay sinners. We don't stay wretches, but we are sons of yours. We have authority. We have boldness because of who you have made us to be in right relationship with you, God. We just thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just uh, give you this 
this day. We thank you for all the dads in the house. We thank you for the dads that we are going to honor today. And we thank you so much that you are the perfect father that we all desire to measure up to, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.